0: This week on Living the Call, Deacon Charlie sits down with Chris McMahon, a husband, father, and wealth management advisor with over 30 years of experience in financial planning services. He serves as president and CEO of two wealth management firms in Pittsburgh, PA. In this episode, Deacon Charlie and Chris discuss Chris's work at Aquinas Wealth Advisors and how he strives for congruence with Catholic moral teaching and solid returns in wealth management for his clients. Chris reveals important strategies for living as a good steward in today's world.
1: Me as a person, am I saving? Am I accumulating too much? Am I doing what I should be doing with the gifts that God has given me? Because they're really mine. I'm a steward of them, right? That's they're not right. Mine. They're not yours. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I doing the appropriate thing? And, that, you know, that's a question I always ask myself. Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right things?
0: This is Living the Call. Chris McMahon, welcome to the show. So glad to be here with the Deacon. Thanks for having me. The the powers of darkness trying to conspire against us, <laughs> as as usually happens with these things. You, you'd be you'd be surprised. Absolutely, we I made was, it. We made it though. Yeah, I was actually um, I was actually reading a review for a new movie that comes out today uh, called Journey to Bethlehem. Have you have you seen any trailers for this no. thing? No, okay, I'm familiar I just had last week's show, I had Adam Anders, who's the director of that movie. It's a Sony movie. Um, And uh, I had him on the show and we talked a little bit about, I mean, we talked a lot about a bunch of stuff, about making the movie and Antonio Banderas and all the people who were in it and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that I was reading just now was about kind of the spiritual attacks that um, happened with him on the set. He's an evangelical guy. He's not a Catholic. Um, But I I didn't ask him about that when we were recording the show, right? I didn't ask him about the kind of spiritual stuff. But even just this last little hour of what we had to deal with a bunch of technical things as an example, you know, the kind of stuff that happens when you're about to talk about the good news.
1: Absolutely. But I am grateful to be here. So thank you very much.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, where are you right now? I'm in Pittsburgh, actually, the
1: suburbs, Mount Lebanon. Uh, where I've been for 35 years, my house, my kids, everybody grew up here, and I my uh, our business is based here, and it's a nice little suburb, a couple of miles from downtown Pittsburgh.
0: Pittsburgh's got some history too, because um, what was I watching just the other day a documentary PBS about uh was it the was it Carne- Carnegie or the like the big time you know industrialists, the steel manufacturers, Absolutely. the guys who Made the whole town. Who was the big guy that was that like grew up in Pittsburgh or made his fortune there? Carnegie,
1: Frick, they all did. And right. They went to New York to play goof around, but they were here to make their money and to, uh, you know, if you're, I don't know if you know the story of the Johnstown no. flood, but it's fascinating. You know, they, they, they the rich, the elite would go to New York most of the time, but they would they went up to Johnstown, PA, which is like an hour and a half from here, and built a beautiful kind of a retreat in the about a, over a hundred years ago. Anyway, they got so comfortable with this retreat. That at some point they st- they let the, the dam deteriorate and they wanted to bring larger carriages across it. So they had to do compromise the dam. It was one of the most catastrophic, it was the most catastrophic event in our country until 9-11. Mm. It was unbelievable. And you go to the museum and you just can't believe it. This enormous amount of this tidal wave of water and trains and barbed wire fences, uh, factories rolling down and, and devastating this town. It was amazing. Um but, in spite of that, so much that I have that I'm grateful for, right? I we say it all the time. these 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 places where we live, these kind of rarefied suburbs came from our grandparents working in those mills and working like dogs and working in horrible situations, working their way up. The unions helped. there's no question. the unions helped give them a decent wage. and over time, these the every, the, the grandchildren all all went to college, right? Mm-hmm. It's amazing what what the the opportunity that came from the industrial Revolution. I used to call Pittsburgh Deacon when I was a, like a little boy, they called it hell with the lid off. Can you imagine? A less, <laughs> I love that. A, a less attractive, uh, <laughs> but now it's a beautiful town. It's, you know, a lot of medical biotech. Sure. Uh, so it's a good, it's a good spot.
0: Yeah. I was just there a couple months ago. I think we talked about it in our kind of lead up to this, uh, to this episode. And I hadn't been back. I mean, I've been there before, but it had been forever, like maybe 15, 20 years since I was back to Pittsburgh. But Uh, Yeah, I really liked it, you know, Um, but but I didn't know the history. I mean, obviously Carnegie and the Vanderbilts and like all of these gilded age personalities that, you know, kind of built the backbone of the country. But Carnegie, the Pittsburgh guy, the one with the Pittsburgh connection was kind of a real self-made guy, right? He comes Uh over from Scotland and he was like hand to mouth and, and he was super entrepreneurial and kind of built this whole thing up. And it was kind of a crazy story, right? For a guy that just be like an entrepreneur that way. Unbelievable. It's the American dream. And he certainly is the largest company in the
1: world when he built it. A funny, a funny story, I think, or interesting is he and his, his basically his CFO was Frick and Frick was an incredibly, well thought of guy. And over time he built his own fortune. So if you come to Pittsburgh, there's the Frick buildings, the Carnegie buildings, Carnegie libraries, you go to New York. I'm in New York quite a bit with various things. And they always say, uh, Carnegie, we say Carnegie. I don't know. I was going to say, why do
0: they call it? Why don't they call it Carnegie hall? It's Carnegie no, no, no. Hall, right?
1: Is Carnegie that just- Hall. They, they mispronounce it. All our friends in New York who are listening, they mispronounce it, you know? But it's funny because at the, the old club, the city club, Well, I think I, I got to check the facts on this. Either Carnegie, I think it was Carnegie wrote Frick near their death after they had this long battle and said, look, we're, we'll, uh, let's make peace. Let's, you know, they were across the street from each other fundamentally, right? In the same town. Let's make peace. And, and the, I think it was Frick responded. And I, I apologize. And I, I'm getting it backwards. You know, he responded, I'll see you in hell. Okay. Can you imagine? Now this last one. So it's a city club to this day. If you go to the Duquesne Club, which is a great old city club in town, in the room of founders, they purposely put the frick and the Carnegie uh, portraits staring at each other for all eternity, <laughs> which is a funny which is a funny little That's thing. Funny. You know? Well, it's also yeah.
0: interesting to note that there's like, you know, uh, what's it called? Like kind of co-founder syndrome did not just exist in, you know, in the digital age. This is something where you know, partners have uh, these moments where they get at cross purposes from one another, probably back then as well. Hey, you know, it's, I have a business partner. I don't know if in your organization you do too, but there are those moments, right? It's a, and like any relationship where you kind of butt heads or you have a different strategic vision and you kind of have to talk these things through.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's also funny about this region. There's a place called Oil City, Pennsylvania. Most people have never heard of it. Oil City, it's been an hour and a half from Pittsburgh. At one time, when they first started, fi- oil was replacing kerosene, and whale oil. They thought the only place in the world that oil would come from was Oil City, PA. So uh, uh, you know the huge, <laughs> yeah, the huge, the huge uh, oil companies were based here. And That's who um, a couple of those robber barons made their fortunes in this tiny little town. An hour and a half outside of Pittsburgh, which is in Los Angeles, of course. So it's mm. it's
0: it's very interesting. So it's got a lot of history. The thing that I that I thought was interesting too um, about this the, the kind of robber barons, right, uh, and specifically Carnegie is the vision piece of it, right. So in his case, it was from what I know, it, it was steel, right. So he saw this, and obviously steel. It's not like it, we just invented it. You know, a hundred years ago, it was something that was ancient, but the idea of being able to produce it very fast, scalably and he just kind of saw in his own mind i could see the girders of buildings i can see railroad tracks i can see like manhole covers i can see everything with this material and that kind of vision of how big and scalable structurally this material could be across this brand new you know nation basically that was waking up yes. to the industrial revolution and and that vision is, is like really special when it happens, right? Somebody had it for the internet, somebody had it for AI, but like when it, when it hits and you can kind of see that, you're like, wow, you know what I mean? And and this guy went and chased it, which is what makes him different.
1: Amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: Um, Let me, let me ask you, you're a guy who, um, obviously you've got a wealth management background and you've been doing this for a while there. And so you, you, you kind of touch a lot of aspects of, um, you know, what kind of makes our, our country unique in the sense of um, being able to build up your own, you know, your own, your own wealth, your own business, your own, uh, you know, leave your own legacy, all that kind of stuff. And, but you also have this kind of overlap, clearly with a deep, you know, abiding, uh, you know, Catholic faith. And I'm curious of like, where along this journey, right? I mean, you've got a degree in economics, you, you, you know, you went, you you did all the right things to kind of get to that moment, but I'm presuming you didn't like leave school and go, oh yeah, there's this great overlap between wealth management and the Christian faith. At what point does that sort of start to develop for you in that in that journey? That's a great question. I mean, for me, it was
1: interesting. So for the first 20 years, my my wife and I, Molly, we have five children who are now grown. We were so busy for those first 10 years. I don't think we ever had a moment to breathe. Um, I, I'm laughing. My bride had sent me a picture of her schedule from, it was May of 2007. She found the old schedule. She was going through something. I had a little calendar, you know, the church calendar. And there was 103 events yeah, it in looks her like calendar. Tetris. Yeah. For that for that month. Yeah. And I looked at, I pulled up mine from the same thing from work and I had about 114. So I said we had 233 things we had to be to uniquely in that month, many for the family. So we were very busy and also very broke. I still remember vividly. We I came home one day and we needed a mattress and I called the store and I said, I need to have a mattress delivered. And and they said, well, your your credit card was, was not we were, were no more room on your credit card. And I thought, my goodness, we're sitting here trying to and you know, bed all these people, and and we can't even afford a mattress. So, and I was probably about thirty six years old. But we, I think, looking back on it, those are our, some of our happiest times. You know, my wife has always said, "Thank God we met in college. We met at Duquesne, and we've been married thirty. It'll be thirty five years this summer." Congrats! But, um, That's awesome. Thank you. And she she always says, "Don't judge the man by the boy."
0: And Ooh. I I always
1: say I spent far too much time as a boy, but in my and I did that professionally as well. Even though I had some success in terms of. You know, starting to build a financial services practice, it really wasn't linked to kind of the kind of person I could be most proud of. I would, I, I thought mostly about, uh, at that time success in terms of, uh, I remember you would go to these meetings and they would give you these various ribbons, right? And you would rank your ability based on these, 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 these ridiculous ribbons, right? And, uh, it's so funny. And I think wasn't the, wasn't the gospel this week? I was, I was at a men's group that I, I'm part of this morning. And I said, I, I want people, to, I still want people to see my tassels, right? Isn't it? The, yeah, the, phylac- said these guys the are
0: phylacteries and tassels. That's right. That was last yeah, exactly. Sundays. Yeah. I think so.
1: So yeah. I'm thinking to myself, I still, I don't, I, 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 don't want to be the guy that wants to sit in the place of honor. The place I don't want honor. people to see my tassels, but I, it's funny. We, I intentionally, uh, read, we started with the litany of humility today. Mm. Because I said, my, this is what I personally need. There's about 30 of us there. And we read this thing and everybody says the same thing. I think they wrote this for me whenever it was, you know. Um,
0: is that the same from, humility prayer from Cardinal, what was it? The Spanish Cardinal who wrote it, The the or the, maybe that might be the humility prayer. Is it the one where you go through, you ask God, like for the, you know, for the grace to not make me desire things, for the grace to not, you know, I, yes. I like it goes through a whole list. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those like scary prayers. You know what I mean? That's what I call them because it's like, for it really consulted. forces you to do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For the, <laughs> from, that's right. Deliver me from the fear, from yes. the desire to be consulted. Yes, sir. That's, that's right. the one. And I mm-hmm. and I read that and
1: I think to myself, you know, I, I, I said, I, you know, I, I pray for my, my, uh, you know, uh, Protestant brothers and sisters, right? Because I, the, the Eucharist is so important to me now. And I said, I said, even this morning, I said, I, I for me, just sitting there and going to daily mass. And that's something that was new uh, in the last 20 years or 18 years was to say, that gives me the peace to to be calm and to really focus on trying to build, to align that both professional and that financial and that faith life to un-silo and to unbundle those. That's been my goal for about the last 15 years. Yeah. You know?
0: Servant of God. I just found it. Servant of God, Rafael Cardinal Mary Delval. He was a Spaniard. Um, and uh, yeah, super powerful prayer. I You know where I used to keep that one? I used to have a little... Um, what do you call it? a little laminated card and I kept it over the sun visor of my car. Sure. So like, you know, pulling into a, a meeting or whatever and doing this, but for people who don't, to, who don't know this one, check this out. It says from the desire. So, Oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. And then it, 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 it begins a litany and it goes uh, from the desire of being esteemed, deliver me Jesus. Like you're, like you're casting out demons from the desire of being loved, deliver me from the desire of being extolled, deliver me. And then it goes on of being honored, of being praised, of being preferred to others, of being consulted, which is the one you just said of being approved for. And then it, and yes. then, it then it says, deliver me from the fear of being humiliated, despised, rebuked, calumniated, I mean, it goes like again. It's like you're basically just exposing yourself bare and asking God to make you that way, which is this kind of scary part, right, for a lot of people, perhaps. Absolutely,
1: it's interesting, Deacon. In the uh, and Molly and I are very close now the sisters of life, and and very, you know, we're. I always laugh. I say we're 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 kind of uh, you know really just so enthralled with them. And we're almost, yeah, almost awesome. at the level of stalkers. Yeah. And, but they've written a litany of trust and a, several other litanies that are so beautiful as well. And I, those are enough for me. That feeds me and, and, and helps me so much.
0: I heard, about, I heard about that one. I haven't, I, I don't know if I've seen it or I me, mean, you got to send it to me. I'd, li- I'd like to look at it. The Sisters of Life, are re- are, they're really cool. So that, this is, you might want to share a little bit about them, but they're the New York order, right? They're actually close to the Franciscan Friars out in the Bronx too. Yeah, you know, so so about
1: 15 or 18 years ago, as my wife and I were starting, I was, as you know, I was the vice chair of Legatus for about five years, which is a wonderful experience. And, and, uh, but when he started Legatus, if you told me I'd be going to Michigan every three months and super involved in that, I wouldn't have believed you. It was initially just kind of, oh, it'll be a nice Catholic way to have a Catholic date night as our kids were getting a little older. And uh, along those same lines, we got a chance to go with some friends to Medjugorje. And we had one of our dear friends, Kathy Howe, had a miraculous healing at Medjugorje. It was amazing. So we went, she said, she was funny. Kathy said, after she told the story of her healing, which was amazing. She said, I believe the Blessed Mother is calling you, you and Molly to come to Medjugorje. And we said, no, we probably have to listen to that one. And we went, it was, it was, it was wonderful. And around the same time, we were trying to start a maternity home. We were thinking about that here in Pittsburgh and helping the unborn, you know, Mm -hmm. and we thought, how can we do that? Initially we thought, my goodness, we'll never be able to open a maternity home with drugs and, you know, all the stuff we can, we won't be able to do it. And my sister-in-law, who had been in the Missionaries of Charity for for five, about five years, said to oh, me, really? she, said, yeah, she said to my wife and I, "Goes, you got to meet the Sisters of Life someday. And at that time, particularly, I was a little Sunday. Sunday for me was always today. Still, I still have that problem. And then we called, and at that time, we called Mother Agnes and said, we're supposed to meet you and come up. She said, come on up. And we went up to New York probably 12, 13, 14 years ago. And here we are, probably been there you know, hundreds of times since then and have an opportunity to Molly and I, I think, you know, Deacon, we run a conference in in New Jersey every year called Catholics at the Shore. It's a great East Coast conference, you know, to complement all the other conferences that are out there. And uh, the sisters have been so good to us in terms of coming, supporting, speaking. Uh, You know, it's been a beautiful, that's just one of the many chances. And, of course, they support Mary's Place very much uh, here in Pittsburgh, the maternity home we were lucky enough to start.
0: By the way, I but don't, the sisters
1: themselves are amazing.
0: Yeah, they are. I saw them speak just recently at the um, at the uh, uh, live action uh, conference or not conference gala, which was down here at the end of September. I want to say a couple months ago, maybe. Um, just very powerful, authentic, real you know women. Great witnesses, and they they gave like a beaut- They 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 received an award, but I mean their reception of the award was. I mean, no offense, was probably better than most of the programming. <laughs> The gala, just Amazing. them receiving the award. So like really, really uh, good people. By the way, I actually don't think that some days is today is necessarily a problem because I think that, I mean, it can be right. If what you mean by that is that you're always trying to cram everything and there's no peace and you've got 147 things on your calendar. That's me like every day. And my wife reminds me every day to not do that. But I do think that there's a real wisdom in this idea of no recognizing somehow that we really only have today, right? Living in the present moment. There's a lot of times when you want to kick the can on something and go like, yeah, maybe I'll get to that or whatever. But that in a way is kind of taking your future for granted. And we, we can't, right? Mm. I mean, and that's yes. scripture. That's scripture, right? We actually just read that one about you fool. Your life will be demanded from you tonight, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to yes. store in the barns and I'll, I'll take care of that, you know? But anyway-
1: it's funny, Deacon. I was thinking about it. So we, Molly and I spent some time. Stone Harbor, New Jersey is about six hours from here, not far to get to the East Coast. Five of our adult children and all of our children, all five are in New York City right now. We're trying to drag them back to Pittsburgh. But, uh, so we were down at the shore just recently and walking down the street and, and with my brother-in-law, who's from New York City, kind of a hard New York guy, good guy. And a guy walks up to us and he says, you're from Pittsburgh. And everyone in the world says, we talk funny here in Pittsburgh. So I thought I was just, my Pittsburghese was coming out. And I said, uh, yes. And I'm, a, you know, it's, it's not a compliment when you're speaking too much Pittsburghese, right? And I, I, he's, I said, did you hear? He goes, no, I heard you after mass. So this was at the end of the day on Sunday, a little small town. I heard you in the back of church. Cause I was in the back of church and I ran into someone we knew from Legatus and a person we knew from Catholic Leadership Institute. You know, it's like an old Homer's week here, all these folks who were talking in the back and someone who had come to the Catholics at the short conference. And he said, I wanted to speak to you then, but I didn't get a chance. And he's walking on the street and he said, I want to talk to you. And I said, sure. Why? He said, well, because, um, I had an interesting experience. He immediately started to cry. He said, mm. my, I, my three months ago or several months ago, I was walking on the beach and I was with my dog. And, uh, and, uh, I was thinking about, he had, he had grandchildren, two granddaughters born to his daughter. One was miscarried. and What mm. was to heaven before they were born? The other one was born and lived seven or eight days. And, uh, and, um, then went to heaven right and uh, he was just beside himself it was very raw obviously incredibly painful for him but as he said as i was on the beach i looked up and there was this nun standing in front of me on the mm-hmm. beach you know on the beach right and he said this beautiful nun dressed in blue and uh she came over and she understood what, he said what a coincidence i said say that again say it one more time he said okay mm-hmm. you know it was, it was an answer to my prayers and they sat there and they prayed and they talked he happened to be from pittsburgh she said, do "You know, Molly and Chris McMahon." He said, "No, but he was been looking for us, right?" And uh, as we stood on the street, I said to him, uh, "You know, I said it was funny, which was talking about living today, and this has been very hard for me, Deacon." I said, "Why don't we pray for your grandchildren now?"
0: Mm. So there we were on the street,
1: yeah, in Stone course. Harbor, intercessory what,
0: prayer, man, that works. And then my
1: brother-in-law is there thinking, "What is? What did this guy do to my sister?" And it was me, my her that did it to me more. <laughs> and we sat there and prayed, and uh, he said to I. I Pulled out my phone. And I said, "Who was it you ran into?" You know, I thought it was, some of the sisters have stayed in our place before. It wasn't them, and it was Sister Mary Gabriel, who's mm. just an unbelievable. Mm. She's the she's a our buddy, and she's just an incredible, incredible witness. And uh, incre- the, I believe, honestly, they have impacted our lives more than any other person we met in the church. We met a lot of great people in the church.
0: Yeah, those guys are, they're the they're the real deal for sure. Um, Absolutely. You know, I want to kind of hover, though, a little bit with you, Chris. So we actually just, uh, maybe it's the Holy Spirit inspiring this, but we just talked about that scripture about um, the guy who's got, you know, the wealthy landowner, and he's got a lot of barns and different things. And he says, you know, I'm going to store all of my goods in there and build these bigger barns to house even more stuff and then as Jesus tells the parable he says that's he says you fool you know your life will be demanded of you tonight and what of all that stuff that you stored away. So I want to just kind of dwell on that for a second with you because in your life like what you do professionally is this kind of area of wealth preservation, you know, uh, maximization, that kind of thing. And I'm sure you talk to your clients about what to do that's good with that money. But there's a there's a tension between those things that I'm sure you've picked up on, right? That This tension right. of like the idea of wealth management itself, at least as, if it's misunderstood, can run at like at odds with a, a, a scripture like that. What do you make of that? Like, how do That's you it. how do you how do you internalize that? It's big, right? It's even been even more compounded by
1: the fact that some of these companies are are, are doing things that are are are, detri- are in complete opposition to everything we stand for as people of faith. Right? It's unbelievable. What's so? There's two issues. Me as a person, am I saving? Am I accumulating too much? Am I doing what I should be doing with the gifts that God has given me because they're really mine? I'm a steward of them, right? They're That's not right. Mine. They're not yours. Yeah. They're not mine. And we're all blessed beyond you know we're blessed uh am i doing what i'm supposed to do am i doing the appropriate thing and I, you know that's a question i always ask myself am i doing enough am i doing the right things and i always come up empty so i just try to do something else right but uh, trying to do more but what we're finding is there's two issues one are, are it, it, do i have a reasonable strategy for um for charity right Am I, is philanthropy a big enough part and not just the philanthropy deacon, but I think specifically Catholic philanthropy for years, we thought it's almost, you know, somehow it's uh, not as cool or not as the galas aren't as great or the, you know, I don't get as much uh, accolades or I'm not in the scene column, but we're asking our clients all the time. And that's really where this this company. Uh, I know we we'll start talking about Aquinas Wealth Advisors, but our firm, which is MFA Wealth, has been advising our clients for thirty-five years across the country in wealth, traditional wealth management, and that's always been part of it. What is your philanthropy plan, etc. But over time, we saw so many of our clients and friends around the country saying, um, I, "I actually need to understand better my responsibility as a yeah. Christian to unbundle my life, to wrap them together, to not silo my." faith life and my financial life, bring them together and make sure that my plan both includes philanthropy and also the the, the investments I'm choosing. And I can't do this blindly anymore. I need to have, I need to understand what values the investments I'm owning are you know, uh, upholding. And if those values are inconsistent with the teachings of you know Christ, we have to pivot. And we're seeing incredible amount of cons- concern about that from our clients. And the, and the great thing is Deacon, Five years ago, people would say, and even good men. There's good men in the financial services business. Good men and women, they'll say, "Oh, you can't do that. You can't understand. It's too complicated. You'll never be able to understand right. what you're supporting." And that's the reality. Is that's just a, one of the rationalizations that the devil's taught us? Because the technology now exists that we're able to look under the hood and let people see exactly what they're supporting, and uh, and also the firms they work for. A lot of these fel- these folks are nice folks, but they t- turn a blind eye to some of the Truly evil practices that their companies, radical transgenderism, abortion, uh, right, you know, so forth, traveling to pay for abortions, all this stuff, right, is really is advancing is, is is not advancing God's kingdom. Is advancing the dark, the evil kingdom. So I think it's all of that stuff together. But we can do it. We can we can. The, the good news is with proper planning, folks can save enough money that they're going to be okay, right? They can diversify their portfolios, and then when they take that extra step to align with their faith. They can ensure that they're not supporting things. Uh, Deacon, we've, we've worked with institutions as well as individuals in our Aquinas Wealth Advisors, and we've seen good, well-meaning people. This is bananas, right? There's your well-meaning people that are um, investing hun- tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in organ. And we'll run some what we call the faith and finance score. It's our, our tool that helps them see behind the curtain we'll come back to them and say 32% of the companies you're supporting are directly giving money to Planned Parenthood. And you can absolutely reverse engineer that and say, this is how many abortions we're paying for with our money and from our people and our pews. Mm. And, and, and the idea that that isn't, isn't isn't uh, the good news is our people care, right? And when we realize that you can do something, we'll be able to change the world. Because as we change the world, these companies are going to have to come back to neutral and stop this radical, progressive, uh, uh, agenda born in compassion, Deacon. It's born in compassion, but it is completely misguided and off the rails. Yeah, completely. no question.
0: I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I just gave a talk this last weekend at Christ Cathedral down here in Orange County. It was uh, for the uh, shout out to the folks at uh, Tepeak Leadership Initiative. It was their first summit ever. And Bishop Olmstead, who was the founder of this organization, or uh, the emeritus uh, Bishop of Phoenix was there. And it was a great great time and you know my talk was about the catholic imaginative vision and part of what you're talking about is is related to what i shared because this idea of compartments that we tend to have especially as americans right like i've got my business life i've got my portfolio i've got you know maybe there's even a philanthropic bucket within the portfolio like all this stuff and and you know look there's nothing inherently wrong with that but it is a byproduct in a way of a lot of this kind of compartmentalized thinking. And what I think the world that we're in today is calling for a understanding of the integrated reality of who we are and how we work in the world as persons. And that every action, to your point, has either a positive or a negative reaction. And if I'm giving money to a company and I don't know that they're using it to support something that obviously is against the gospel, like the awareness of that is important to have, but that we can use all of these things you know, to, to, to drive forward this sort of, or recapture this Christian imagination, this Christian, uh, the, the, the vision of Christendom, frankly, which is where you know, we're kind of beyond Christendom now, but to recapture that in all of the things that we do. And the, the, the reason I give that as a backdrop is because I also think that once you get to that point, especially in your world, okay. Once you get somebody to the point of like, Hey, you've got this portfolio, here's what it looks like, here's this index, here's where you're giving money to, let's clean this stuff up, right? You get to, a, at some moment, you get to a conversation about where should these, these efforts, these tools, where should they be deployed? Where should I be using my agency as a Christian to try to influence the world around me and kind of help the vineyard grow? Like, What are the strategies to go out there? The things that I talked about, and this is not from a finance or wealth management point of view, because that's not my experience, but the things that I talked about were things like, um, uh, you know, story, advancing storytelling that, you know, shows real people, like maybe the Sisters of Life, like what they do and how they live their faith out in the world working and talking and and, and really being witnesses of that, right? So story was one. The idea of, um, of being more the shepherd than focusing on the sheepfold, right? About re- helping people and accompanying them, right? You talked about your maternity home as an example, like accompanying people through things. So there were like all these stra- strategic areas that I discussed, right? But what do you think from your vantage point are like the areas where if we're going to support Catholic philanthropic efforts— you can do that in a, a billion different ways. Sure. And like, but what are the areas right now, from your perspective, that are key as Americans in 2023 that we have to give just more juice to, that we have to, you know, give more attention to? What are they?
1: I think the inner city is a huge one, right? I think it's a big problem. I think the, 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 uh, there's a group, uh, they're based at kind of the East Coast and, uh, Vagabond, uh, Vagabond Mission. Right? They're Beautiful. Yeah. They yeah, had a great group. group. I think they're in about 20, 20 cities now, and they're going into the worst places. And these people have no hope. We're seeing that at Mary's Place, our maternity home. There's a beautiful There's a beautiful soup kitchen here in Pittsburgh called the Red Door. It's been operating for decades. It's a beautiful place. There's also a home. Uh, there's also a coffee shop here called Brother Andre's Cafe that the same priest, Father Chris uh, Donnelly, opened, and it's run by all the people that are mentally and physically, uh, you know. Uh, It's beautiful, right? But the inner city is critically, critically important, and I think that's where we need to go. And also, people like us—I'm amazed how many of my friends. I say, "Let's go to the red door and hand out sandwiches." They're like, "I've always wanted to do that." So they're this close. Yeah. The other day, I was doing—I've been doing more media for Aquinas Wealth Advisors. I was at a television studio in New York, and a guy came in, and he was strong and he was profane. He was trying to be friendly, but he was just strong and profane. There was men and women there, and he—he thought he was being charming. And one of the women there was a producer. She had the headset on. She was ready to go. And she looked at me and she, you know, I, I was new to this particular uh, network. So she kind of, you know, treated me like the freshman on the senior bus, you know. And she was nice, but they were all talking about running and, and how she ran the marathon. And, and he was just so profane and big. And he left the room and she came over to me and said, oh, you're on in a moment. Do you have your microphone on? I said, sure. And she said, what is that word? What is that word? I said, it's Aquinas because it was Aquinas Wealth Advisors. She said, oh, I was raised Catholic. I said, what does that mean? Tell me what that means. She said, I guess it means I'm Catholic. I said, okay. Because I, I always think it's funny. I was raised Catholic. Well, did you go through some process to get up? And she said, I really just want to get back. I want to get back to my faith. My mother was ill. And she started crying immediately. Mm, crazy. So this is my point is, it's yeah. this close, right? Yeah. It's an inch below the surface. And she said, what should I, I said, well, I said, "Well, what do you, you get back today? Let's go to confession today, right? It's going to be over in a minute. Well, anyway, it's so funny because the guy, um, I, called, I, happened to call, I was in New York, so I happened to call one of the sisters life. She was able to meet her, met with her. Hung out with her, went to confession with her, and then she's back, right? My point is, we have to also just be aware that everybody around us is searching for meaning. They're lost, and all they want is to understand they're uniquely, they're unique. They are a unique and undeniable gift from God. And I thought to myself, she was playing the hard New York toughie like my kids probably do. And it wasn't reality. The reality was she was deeply hurt. Mm, All she wanted to tell me, yes. She wanted someone to give her a hug and say, it's okay. And le- and uh, go find a kind priest and have that beautiful confession and go have the Eucharist. and You know, every hair on your head, right? And so we have, and, and the last place, Deacon, it's a long answer. I apologize. No, it's and cool. the, la- yeah. the last place for sure is the third world. Mm. My wife and I have been so blessed. You know, we were so deeply connected to Sister's Life. And I've been so busy with Legatus, right? But we, we've we been to uh, Mexico City now. We've been there now f- Three times. Mm-hmm. And Father Dan Leary, who's just one of the most dynamic uh, priests of all time, who took over for uh, Father uh, Aloysius Schwartz, who passed away about 20 years ago. And they have these schools all over the third world. Mexico. I've only been to Mexico City. It's magnificent. 3,400 girls. I would strongly encourage anybody, if they're going to go see Our Lady Guadalupe, which is magnificent, that they also see, go out to Chalco and call them. It's It's a suburban Mexico City. And spend a little time at this World Villages of Children. You see these thirty-four hundred girls there. There's a boys' school somewhere else. They said twenty thousand Tanzania. They're all over the world, but the ones in Mexico City, and you see these girls that are brought out of object poverty. Nothing like the poverty we see here. Nothing. I mean, and sexual abuse. It's and self-loathing, and you meet them. They're there for four years, and then they're 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 beautiful, and they and they have the devotion to Our Lady. And it's I, I, it, Chalco, Mexico City. Uh, the school there world of children is the most uh uplifting beautiful and engaged place and, and the beauty of those places Deacon is is that our dollars sometimes we get in a capital campaign at the diocese they we say well we need to raise 100 million dollars to you know whatever put heating and cooling in all the churches it's very important it is but it's sometimes that it, you we lose the we lose the kind of the, yeah, you the, know, the corporal, emotion the, the
0: corporal aspect of it the actually touching individual people the thing with chalco too and there's other examples of this is that people who interact with that, as I'm sure was the case with you, you think you're doing something, but it's really happening to you, right? Uh, God is actually is changing you, right? So it's like, and we have this sort of, I talk about this stuff all the time. As Americans, we're in the kind of, you know, repair and fix kind of business, right? We want to like attack stuff and fix it. And we've been called kind of like Superman to go deal with something, but God is so frugal and wastes nothing And those interactions, you go to Mexico City and you're a tourist and you're out there and You're going to help these poor people in Chalco. And actually God's like, no, I got you. I wanted to bring you here because you've got something to work on. And this is the way that I'm going to actually teach you that thing. Right. So we forget that second part. And I think that's the big part of examples like that. All right. So let's go through them. Okay. So the first one that you talked about was inner city. Couldn't agree with you more. I know the guys at Vagabond, Christ in the city out of Denver is also very similar. Right. And those kind of things, you know, are very, um, lived experience, very cultural, very, uh, corporal. And they're very much about simple things, right? Which is like in the case of, uh, Christ in the city, it's all about friendship. Like I just want to go be friends. Right. It, and th- if there's resources and housing and all this other stuff like that may or may not come later, but if it comes at all, it's going to come through a friendship. It's super simple. Right. So that's one er- area. And I couldn't agree with you more. Um, the, 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 the second one they meant, what was the second one you mentioned again, Maybe just our, our people around us that it's an inch oh, below the, the surface. But that's actually a huge one, though. This is this kind of, uh, you know, lighting up the sort of, uh, you know, a lot of the entrepreneur class, too, which, which, which I think I, I went to um, somebody recently told me that like the next CEOs, the next saints of the church should be CEOs. And if you think about that, you know, the influence that entrepreneurs and CEOs and business leaders have in our culture today is actually massive. You could say that a CEO has much more influence than your average bishop out in the world, right? I mean, people know Elon Musk a lot that they know than they know my bishop here in LA. I could promise you that. And so, and so this idea of like really Tapping into those kind of professional spheres. I think that's a big area of focus too, philanthropically. And the third one about the developing world. Um, I've got a trip I'm putting together for June next year to Nigeria. I think you mentioned something about Nigeria the last time we yes, talked yes. to you. What'd you yeah, talk about?
1: I'm sorry, the sister. So at Mary's place, we've been, you know, he's oh, nurse Um, I'm sorry. Pregnancy centers and so forth. It's hard to get and keep employees because people aren't used to interacting like this. We were so blessed. We met, we met the uh, sisters of St. Michael the Archangel from Nigeria. That's what it was. Yeah. So they came here and now they're here. Sisters are here. And I don't say it lightly. We love them and it's, they're, they're beautiful. And it's just such a funny story, uh, Deacon. We were, we were laughing the day my wife and I, you know, would go out to the airport to pick these three sisters up who we've never met. First of all, it's snowing, right? Which is funny. They're, They're, they're not used to that. And as I'm laughing, because one of our moms at our home, a maternity home, says to another mom there, as we're going to the airport, they think this might be the solution. We might be able to get these sisters here to help us run this home and give these people some love and maternal love and guidance and so forth and some self worth. One of the mothers is from another country and this mother's lovely. It was shocked me. She looked at the other woman and said, This is right before we go to the airport. Don't let those Nigerian devils touch your baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, that's a terrible way to start this thing. And I went out to the mall and I went out, my wife and I went out to the airport. We picked up the sisters. Great to meet you. You know, they came from halfway around the world, right? And I said, sister, just a little point of order, sister Veronica, one of the moms said, she said this and she said, ah, we'll work through it. And invariably two weeks later, we go to the house. This woman is handing her baby like she's handing it to her own mother wow. to hold the baby. So they knew, they just knew, if they come in love and they love everybody, and and that's what you see about these folks. This, these this beautiful outpouring of love, and you know, reverse, uh, reverse. Um, we used to send them missionaries all over the world. Maybe some of those religious orders are coming back here. Some of my friends will ask me how how do we staff our maternity home? How do we staff our youth home? And I say they're pre- or. I have a friend trying to build a chapel in the Smoky Mountains, uh, and he wants to say, how can I staff this? And I learned a lot from Tom Monaghan in my years as vice chair of the Board of Legatus. It's been an all, you know, really an honor to be with him and he, his chapel that he has. And I, I don't know if you've, uh, Deacon, have you been up to Ann Arbor ever, to uh, Michigan? It's, I have,
0: yeah, but a long time ago.
1: So one thing he did, which I love, I just love, he built a beautiful office building quite at the peak of his wealth before he kind of really, you know. But anyway, there's a chapel in that in that. Building. It's called the Domino's Farms. And I think it does more confessions. It does Mass like five times a day, is confession. So these priests that came from, I believe they're from Lebanon, which I have some Lebanese blood in me. They live on this property. They, they, can, they can have the Blessed Sacrament at his small chapel, but in this chapel in Domino's Farms, confession, Mass, mm. uh, the Eucharist exposed, adoration. It's amazing. So people need that. And I think if we give, they, all they need is be invited to do that. And it's amazing what happened.
0: Amazing. Well, I think the whole idea of like where are folks going to come from to staff all these things or whatever. I mean, look at the priesthood even in the U.S. I mean, the majority of the growth in the priesthood in the U.S. has been Nigerian priests and, you know, priests from Latin America and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so it's happening even in the church institutionally that we're getting the contribution of a lot of these um of these nations and their sense of catholicity. Look, I think that that third rail that you identified about developing nations is critical, but I see it in two ways. I see one as you know what we're talking about, right? So kind of going out there and and engaging, you know, with these with these efforts, whether they're apostolates or organizations or missions, you know, out to these places. The other thing, which is slightly more controversial, which is why I like it, is um the idea of what we can learn here from them right so as an example africa if you look at it globally africa's the only continent in the world that is bucking all of the trends that we're seeing here and in europe about you know catholic um, you know sort of uh, people remaining catholic right the sure. people staying in the faith that's the that's the truth almost everywhere a lot less in Latin America, a lot less in Asia, n- not happening at all in Africa and Africa. It's going in the other direction. So as, as business people, if I'm trying to do business a, and it, my industry is like a catastrophe, but in some other country that industry is doing phenomenally well, wouldn't I want to go and like, look at that? Like, what are they doing and how are they doing it and better understand it? But we don't think that way as much here. And so, um, I think that, yes, we can support philanthropically these efforts in the, these different regions in the developing world, but I still think that the eye towards what we can learn to apply here needs to be further developed, right? needs to be further understood because there's something they're doing right Absolutely. over there, and, and we got to figure it out because this is, you know, it's getting worse every day in terms of the stats anyway uh, here in the U.S. Right. You're
1: right. Because there's plenty to learn. And I think it's a, what I, my experience has been m- most of these folks are just so um, transparent. Yeah. Right? They, yeah. They're, 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 there's no um, duplicity. There's just as simple as, you know, this, this is what I'm doing. And this is what I believe in. And I think if we could do that, I, I'm guilty of that too. I think what I want to hide, I used to want to hide what I believed in. And I found that the, the, the more I, I stopped doing that, the better I felt about myself. I want to be the kind of man, hopefully my children would say, my dad is, I know what he stands for, right? And, uh and I think, I and think everybody
0: knows, like they see you coming and they're, they, they know, and you, that doesn't mean you're talking about the faith or praying the rosary everywhere. It just means that they know. And, and that's this idea of like, you know, being authentically yourself and, and, and living that in every, you know, in every place that, that, that you go to. Um, yeah, the, 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 the thing about Africa in particular, so I'm planning, I was starting to say, I'm planning a trip out to Nigeria in in summer of next year. And it started off just as a, like, you know, I have a a Nigerian friend who's phenomenal. Her name is Buchi Akpati and she's uh, a multi-hyphenate. She does social media. She's a former Carmelite. She was a Carmelite discerning with the Carmelites for years. Um, and just a really great lit up for the, you know, for the gospel. She's a great, great person. And she's, you know, she told me she was going home. And I said, I want to go. And, and she was like, okay, great. And I've been to West Africa before a couple of times, um, but never to Nigeria. And, um, so we started planning this trip, right? My wife and I are going to go with her and she's going to show us some sites. And then suddenly that started to snowball into something much bigger Hmm. because she said, well, you know, why don't we invite Deacon Harold Burke Sivers? I don't know if you know Deacon Harold, um, world renowned preacher speaker travels all over the place, you know, globally talking and whatever. And so now Deacon Harold is part of this. And then they were, you know, she's talking about other people. And anyway, the, the, the I, I, I kind of, I'm wondering what you think of this, right? The idea is that now what I'm thinking about is really doing almost like a spiritual safari. It's like a spirit, a, a pilgrimage, but a different kind of pilgrimage, because the pilgrimages we might be used to in Fatima or Lourdes or the Vatican or whatever are about us kind of, you know, let's be honest. I mean, yes, we're having spiritual experiences, but we're kind of tourists and we're kind of taking camera, taking pictures and we stay in hotels and, you know, all that. And it's all good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think we need to do a lot more of that, actually. But this would be something different. This would be like where, it's like Chalco, right? We're going to go and do, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to get immersed. We're going to go to orphanages. We're going to go to like, you know, into the slums. We're going to talk to bishops, yes. And we're going to have talks and we're going to have, photo ops and all the other things that you want, but it's a different kind of pilgrimage. And we're starting to kind of build off of this idea. And I don't know, I think that it's a very kind of now thing. And I think people might be interested in going, I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think you're right. I think people are searching for it, right? I think people are just searching for the answers. And sometimes you're right when we, and there's not, and I love, right. I love, uh, I want to go to the Holy land, God willing. That's horrific, you know, oh, yeah, tragedy over soon, but, uh, the, uh, the idea of seeing this stuff and seeing it, and I hate to say it in its purest form, but I think without a lot of this kind of stuff we put on it, and our egos are set aside, And yeah. there's a humility, I think, there that we don't have. And I'm guilty mm. of as anybody just to go there and just say, I'm here and I'm sure it'll all work out. You know, and we're talking about going for a week or two. These people get on a plane and a boat and another plane and they show up and say, I'll do whatever God intended to me. You know, the total trust in, in God, right? Just beautiful, beautiful.
0: I think it'll be great. Yeah. I just think that it's like, it's the kind of thing where you, you know, it's all part of this broader thematic, which um, uh, I don't know if you know, Monsignor James Shea, he wrote a book. um, He's the president of, um, I think it's uh, the university out in in South Dakota, might be North Dakota, St. Mary's, I think. But he's, uh, he's another guy who's always on YouTube and speaking and preaching and all that kind of stuff. But he wrote a book, um, came out in COVID, during COVID called... Ah, uh, from Christendom to Apostolic Mission. Have you have mm. you come across that title at all?
1: No, no, I'm writing it down as a matter
0: of yeah. From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. It's a it's a it's a small book. It's like under 100 pages. But the whole premise of the book is that this idea that we're in a different age. Like we had the Apostolic Age. You know, Jesus went up to heaven, left the apostles. Then we went into this kind of missions and martyrs, you know, phase where everybody was going out to the ends of the earth and people getting killed for the faith and, you know, getting on ships and doing all this other stuff. Then we kind of hit Christendom, right, which is the the vision had become part of the institutions of the culture. It's in our legal system. It's in our schools. It's sort of everywhere. Now we're like in a post-Christendom period. And so the book makes this, this, this sort of premise that we have to return in a way, to that apostolic mission, to that apostolic church, if we want to like combat the things we're seeing now, because the vision of the secular world today is not unlike it was back in the original apostolic age. Obviously, it's got a lot of differences, but you're dealing with like a different operating system, right? To use a technological term when we're talking to people. And so If it's true that we have to go back to this sort of apostolic age, then like learning or being close to what that means in practice, like going to Africa and rolling up your sleeves and spending time in orphanages and like walking with people and hearing about their stories, it seems to me that that actually is like part of the recognition of this new age that we're in, in a way. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. And I think there's something about taking a trip like that that, of course— of course, changes you forever. I, you know, Megagoria was incredibly impactful for me. I've been to Rome, uh, have not been to the Holy Land, have not been to Lords, but I'm sure they'll be wonderful, wonderful. But I tell you, I come back from it changed. That's what I'm talking about.
0: That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. yeah, and 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 all those places are awesome. I, I've I've had the good fortune to be into the Holy Land. I went there once back in 2011. Never been to Megagoria, although I've heard like every story. You know have been to Guadalupe, have been to Lourdes, have been to Fatima and they're beautiful experiences, but they're kind of packaged in a way, right? Like you're, you go there and you want the tour and you want to, you want to understand about the saint, like in in Lourdes, it's about St. Bernadette Subiru, and you go into her childhood home and you see the bed she slept in and, and it's so beautiful and it's, it's lovely. It really is. It's like a picture book, but Chalco, right? To your point, it's like, you're in it. You're steeped in it, right? And you get to kind of live what it is to be a Christian, and in a, in a sort of different setting. And I don't know that just feels very twenty twenty three in terms of like what we need to figure out, um, you know, in the world that we live in today. I think you're right. I do. How? By the way, Medjugorje. How'd you end up getting there? I mean, was that just so, like somebody invited you? No. So what it was, our friend Kathy Howe was leading trips there for
1: thirty years. She's here in Pittsburgh. It's it's amazing. And uh, about about twenty about 18 years ago, she was diagnosed with a terminal blood cancer. Mm. So she was feeling like she could still go. Her medical treatment hadn't gotten so bad. So she said, I'll leave this. will be my last trip. She's a deeply, you know, she's deeply, uh, putting her hands and, you know, putting her life in the, in the soul in the, in the Holy Spirit's hands. So she, she said, if it's my time, it's my time, but I'm going to go take this trip again. She'd been there 18 times at that point. So she went again. And while she was there on apparition Hill, uh, she, uh, She's been there enough that she, with Mariana and some of the other ones, she would actually be inside the circle, you know, with the with the kind of Croatian security team. So she was actually sitting next to Mariana, as she'd done many times. But this was interesting because this was the time she heard someone say, not someone, she heard the Blessed Mother very clearly say to her in her heart during the apparition, Kathy, my son has cured you. Go home. Wow. So she got on a plane, came back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, went, to, went up there to um, Hillman Cancer Institute, which is right up the road here. And they said, your cancer is gone and we don't understand. And I've talked to her oncologist, right? And he said, yeah, this he, he's a, he was a, a Muslim, I think. But he said, her cancer doesn't go on remission. Her cancer is never cured and hers is gone and we don't know why. And he said, we, we think we know why, you know. And, and so she said, she's had a kind of a special connection to our lady, has been leading trips. So we got a chance to go there. Uh, she says, I said, a few years later at a Legatus meeting when I was the president, she said, I believe, you know, you know our lady's calling you. And your wife to go to Medjugorje. and we said, ah, come on, it's. And we said, oh, let's do it. Let's listen for once. Let's just you know shut up and listen, right? <laughs> which I, which I've been told my more than once. I, I had a dear a dear friend of mine. We were I was calling her about something, and she I said you helped us so much. She helped us with Mary's place so much, and I said we're just so appreciative. Could you come over? We're baptizing one of the babies, and she said, well, I haven't helped you lately. I haven't helped you financially. Said, you know, you've helped us too much. We're fine. Thank you. Just come over and enjoy this. But this. Beautiful baptism it's going to be, and she said to me, "Would you please just stop talking, stop mm. talking?" She said, "I want to, I going to send you guys another hundred thousand dollars to take care of these babies, and if you would just let me do what I want to do, and stop talking." And I said, "That's a good information for me to just turn it off and just listen." So we listened. We went to Medjugorje, and it was. It was overwhelming. While we were there, did you visit the castle, the car dealer's castle, when you were there by chance?
0: I wasn't. No, I've never been. I've never Uh, been to Medjugorje. This is
1: one insight from Medjugorje. There's a million of them. That's a problem. There's so many, you can't take them all in. My friends who I trust are saying the sun is spinning in different directions. Bananas, right? And uh, when we went to the castle, so this guy was a car dealer. You could go see him when you go over there. And he built this beautiful castle. If He had unlimited funds and built a stone castle with his wife. But he built it to serve the serve the religious when they travel there. But he was he had been married once and he had four children and his, he was a disaster. His children drugs and mm. LGBTQ and mm-hmm. married three times. By his own admission, he actually told his children money was his God. Mm-hmm. He would take his salesman at his car dealerships. he, he built himself up from nothing. Right? He was a washing cars. He owned four or five dealerships in Canada. He, t- he would take his guys instead of letting them go home. He'd say, "Just get in a plane. We'll fly right to Vegas, and we'll come home Monday morning. We won't come home Sunday. So go back to your family." He was, you know, working on behalf of the devil. He said it, and, and he, you know, as he did this, and his wife, his current wife, so his first wife, you know, he had these children with, and he was a disaster. His second wife, the same thing. His third wife, he actually loved her and married her, and they. He said, "I was such a fool. I used a helicopter during my wedding." Like, how, long, how hard would it be to work a helicopter in your marriage ceremony unless you're the biggest, flashiest guy in the world by his own admission? Anyway, so his wife said, I want to get married in the church after this. He said, are you out of your mind? I, you know, you see me. I'm not a church guy. And he said, uh, she said, I'm going to go see the bishop. And she went to see the bishop. And the bishop said, well, actually, his first marriage was annulled. He didn't participate, but it was annulled. So the second one didn't count. So theoretically, you could marry this guy in the church. She said, he said, but I wouldn't do it. This guy's just, you know, he's in a tough spot. He doesn't look like he's ready to do this. She said, I'm doing it. She was more the coming back to the church than he was. He said, have him read these. He handed him the messages from Mary from Medjugorje. She said, have him read these, and then you'll get married in the church. She took it home to him. He said, I'm not going to read this. Are you out of your mind. This is some crazy person right? wrote this. Mary's not talking to us. And uh, she, she gave him the book. He said to her, throw it away. She said, you throw it away. He said, okay, I'll read one. He opened the book up and it said, this is your final warning. Wow. This is your, so he went, immediately went to confession, daily communicant, praying the rosary, complete reversal of his life. Within about four months, he came home and said, honey, we have to move to Medjugorje. And she said, what do you mean move to Medjugorje? You mean go there and like support it and be there a couple times a year? He said, no, no, if, if Mary lives there, we have to be her neighbor. So he moved there, sold everything, built this castle and they just receive, they receive uh, Medical people, they receive. Yeah, uh, religious people, and they just tr- and they just give them a place to live. It's beautiful. And uh, uh, I want to talk ex- to him. You know him? Yeah, he's 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 available too. He's a good guy. But so here's what here's something fascinating. One of the doctors came from Ukraine. Ukraine, and in Ukraine you had to perform abortions, right? You had to. And this particular doctor, they stopped there for two days. They were staying at the castle. They went on apparition hill, and everything's little rocks. And as this person was on apparition hill, they had a uh, they had a vision. Right? Then Apparition. And all the rocks on Apparition Hill, the whole thing, the whole thing is that rocks turned into the skulls of the babies this doctor deported. What? They came home back to the castle, were overwhelmed for three days and came out and said, I have to change my life forever. They stopped, you have you being a physician, now travels the world world as a pro-life advocate. And that happened there. So that stuff happens all the time there. It's unbelievable what happened. The Medjugorje is an amazing
0: place. I, um, I've i only heard, I mean, of all the places of apparitions and, you know, throughout the whole world, uh, in Ireland, in Japan, in Africa, Our Lady of Cabejo, like obviously Lourdes, Fatima, Guadalupe, but like in terms of my life, people that I actually talk to, the most amount of, oh, you got to go and this happened to a friend and blah, 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 I hear about. Medjugorje like there there's it's not even close and obviously there have been great miracles at all these other places but but yeah I I definitely I'd love to go and and um and just experience that you know experience what's uh what's going on there it's uh it's really beautiful stuff Chris sadly as you know we have to kind of wrap up because we had our whole uh, technological foible so we we kind of ran into it here on the calendar but before we, um, before we get going, um, I just want to give you a second to, you know, tell folks like how they can kind of follow what you're doing. And you've talked about a lot of things, right? You've talked about, uh, Mary's home and you've talked about obviously your own businesses, the wealth advisory and the, the Aquinas. And so, but just give folks a, a sense of how they can get in touch with you, with your wife, with what, what work you're doing, the conference, like give us the kind sure. of rundown.
1: I would say Aquinas Wealth Advisors is a place, and that's a national firm. We're going to the good news conference. our people are going there next week. It'll be great. But Aquinas wealth Advisors is where people can find how they can align their faith and their finances together. Mm. Catholics at the Shores on the East, you know, it's really an East Coast. We're, we had some folks there from Colorado last year, but we're trying to get about four or five hundred folks a year to come out there. Catholicsattheshore.com, at the shore dot Catholics at the dot com are both great. And Deacon, can I if you if you let me, I sure. want to tell you a story. It'll take yeah. me thirty seconds, I promise. It's the power of a Hail Mary. It's an amazing story to a priest that happened here in Pittsburgh. I've been using it quite a bit, but I'm still overwhelmed by it. And i so I'd love it if people are looking for Aquinaswealth.com and Catholics at the dot com. But what happened with um and you gotta look at Sisters of dot com and mm-hmm. Sisters of Mary and Chalco, those are I don't think you have to look any further and I think I found all the answers at those two places. But uh, anyway, um, Joe freedy's is a priest here in Pittsburgh. He's a big, strapping guy. He's—I'm 58. He's probably 43, 44. He played football, at a local high school, 10 minutes from my office here, and he went up to University of Buffalo, where he was a star. And he somewhere in the middle of that found God and became a priest. So still has the passing records up there at Buffalo. Anyway, uh, a couple of years ago, one of his buddies from high school called him and was running by his office, and he was running and. Going for a jog, and that person—he uh, saw an ambulance on the street. It's a suburban neighborhood. Not a real religious guy said a hail Marys. He was running, didn't make the sign of the cross, kept jogging, forgot all about it, didn't tell anybody about it. Three weeks later, he was jogging down the same street, probably a little bit on the same exercise program I am every three weeks, whether you need to or not. But he uh, anyway, three weeks later, he's jogging down the street. He hears a woman frantically screaming, "Sir, sir, sir, sir." Finally, jogger, you stop. And he turns around. A little old lady's running at and He's thinking something must be wrong. She just looks distressed and she came down. Ma'am, are you okay? Can this, did your husband fall? What's happening? Can I call the police? Whatever he's thinking. She said, No, 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 no. I'm fine. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. He's like, I'm not from here. I'm not your nephew. She said, No, no. I know exactly who you are. You saved my life. He
0: wow. said, oh, I get it now.
1: I get it now. She's she's crazy. She's imp- she's crazy. Yeah. She's off her nut. As we say in Pittsburgh, she's off her nut. So he said, let me help you back to your house. Now he's looking for neighbors to help him get her back to her house, whatever. And she said, no, 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 no. I know exactly who you are. Three weeks ago to the day, I had a stroke and I was in my house and I had a stroke and I was in a coma. And they took me to St. Clair Hospital, which if you were here, Deacon, you can see it from my office. They took her to St. Clair Hospital. And while she was in, the, she was in this coma, she was dying. And Jesus appeared to her. This oh. is the woman telling this guy this. And Christ appeared to me. And while I was laying, he said, You were going to come to heaven today. And he cupped his hands and said, but this man prayed for you to my mother. (laughs) And as a result, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not coming to heaven today. So she woke up, went home three weeks later. She's on her couch and this guy's running down the street. She said, this guy's not getting off the street. And I think it's important that we know that because our prayers to our lady, we ask for intercession. She hears those prayers. She grants those prayers. We don't think it's real, even though we're doing, we're all doing it. Of course. And we still don't think it's real. And, 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 and this guy said, I don't know what to do, right? I don't know what to do. And Father Joe said, keep breathing. You know, first of all, secondly, understand your prayers are real and, and, and intercession is a real thing that our lady can do. And third, of course, just, you know, understand that, that, uh, that, that this is all by, you know, God's divine providence. So we can just. Because relax, it's funny, I told that story to, and it's on the internet, you can see the story, it's beautiful, they have the jogger and but it's uh, called Rose, so sort of the power of one Hail Mary, but uh, it's funny when I mentioned it to Sister Mary, uh, Mary Elizabeth from the Sister's Life, she said, yeah, you know, I, I say like, you know, a thousand of those a day, and I, know that I don't get that kind of response, but... Um, it's still a beautiful, it's just such a beautiful thing. And I, I try to remember that as I'm going through my day. So thank
0: you. I think I've come across that video at some point in my travels, The Power of One Hail Mary.
1: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't you.
0: know you were connected to it. It's an amazing story. And yeah, like we we can't doubt the supernatural uh, reality or the extravagance of God because he, he wants to show us and reach out to us. And sometimes he do he does it in particularly um you know extravagant ways, like that example. Because he wants to give us that sort of nudge uh, and not just us, but I mean, many, many other people who've heard that story or seen the video or whatever it is, that this is really happening And, and just to fortify our faith, right? We all need that fortification. By the way, that's as a side note, that's the reason I'm convinced that exorcisms are allowed by God and these crazy phenomena of people floating and walking up walls. My brother's an exorcist, so I get to hear all these stories. Um, that The reason for that, if you really think about it, like why would God allow some some person to crawl up a wall in front of like medical professionals? The reason is because in a way, even that, even the demonic can be a proof for God's existence. And people who see that, maybe that's their first interaction with the supernatural. And it's going to shock them into going, wait a minute, if the devil's real, that means like all of this other stuff might be real too. Right? So like you you, you got to think of it with that, uh, you know, God's logic, right, of all these different things. but just like we can intercede for one another our lady is a is a significantly more powerful intercessor and she wants to hear you know what we have to say and when we say those hail marys especially the part about you know uh, be with us at you know the the, the at, on the day of our death that is specifically for those people who are at that moment about to cross over and if they're not ready then you know that intercession um obviously is very very powerful so yeah awesome story Chris, thanks for uh, for coming by the show. Sorry for the tech issues, but um, I'll be with you, and I'll look forward to seeing you. I'm going to be at the Legatus uh, Summit as well next year and uh, get a chance to meet in person. And uh, and yeah, just our prayers and 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 intercessory prayers for the prosperity of your work and its continued efforts and all these different dimensions that you've talked about. It's been a real privilege to have you on.
1: God bless you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for all your work, Deacon. It's so important.
0: And if you're listening to our voices, that means it's time to follow this show. Subscribe, share this episode with somebody, maybe somebody who's in that kind of universe of, hey, I'm starting to amass some wealth and starting to come up in my career. And I I know there's more that I need to do with this wealth that I'm stewarding on behalf of God. Uh, Maybe this episode can help them uh, to follow along in that particular journey. It's a privilege to be with you every week. And God bless you until we see you again on Living the Call. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.